Okay, hi guys. I'm here with, today with Mr. Vil Tulki. In today's episode, we'll be focusing on nuclear energy, its history, advantages and shortcomings. We will also be comparing it to other sources of energy and talk a little bit about its, its possible future. So just to introduce you to Mr. Vil Tulki, he's a doctor of science and technology and a certified project manager from Finland. He's also a member of Fuel and Materials, part of the Alden Program Group. And he's also a member of the Jules Horowitz Reactor Fu Fuel Working Group. Mr. Tulki, uh, Tulki, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, it's a great pleasure to everyone. So, okay, to start off with, uh, I guess it's important first to, uh, for people to understand what is nuclear energy, because unfortunately for people who are not really scientifically literate, they still tend to confuse nuclear energy with other pernicious things like <laughs> nuclear bombs, just because they have the same the same name uh, nuclear there so uh, what would you say is the basic science people have to know in order for them to properly think about nuclear energy and distinguish and to distinguish it from other things well i mean of course you're having very hard time like uh, separating uh, nuclear energy and nuclear weapons in people's mind especially since <laughs> Unfortunately, the use of like a nuclear chain react reaction started with a nuclear bomb. But uh, fortunately, I mean, we have gone ahead of those times. And uh, basically, per when you produce uh, energy with nuclear reaction, it's basically you're using uh, this kind of uranium or potentially thorium and plutonium to uh basically uh just splitting them using uh neutrons and uh with this each splitting there's a new uh, uh generation of neutrons coming which then you can actually produce this kind of chain reaction that produces energy uh which is then used for pro power production and uh well the difference between like weapons and with uh use of energy, uh, nuclear use of energy is uh, basically you're using uh, different techniques basically with the civilian nuclear power you are using like low enriched uranium that's uh, well basically you cannot make a bomb out of it but of course well we are always uh, uh, there are basically some points in the nuclear fuel cycle like enrichment that's uh, basically the basis for also producing weapons grade material and that's why we have big international institutions uh, taking care of the like safeguards like, like uh, International Atomic Energy Association the, the one big project of theirs is basically making sure that uh, this kind of uh, material is not diverted. So nowadays, uh, uh, basically, the civilian use of nuclear energy is uh, quite uh, well uh, separated 
from the military use. So basically, uh, for instance, in Finland, where I'm from, uh, we have a very large nuclear power program, but we never had, had any uh, like weapons program at all. So, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, and so uh, just to talk a little bit about the historical nuclear accident. So we had Chernobyl, which, yeah. which people know a lot about. Uh, and more recently Fukushima. So, uh, why did they occur? Was it because of human negligence, human error, bad maintenance? Was it due also to perhaps unpredictable natural disasters? Uh, and uh, I, I mean, and just another thing before you answer, what was the real importance when evaluating the employment of nuclear energy or nuclear power? Because how many people really, in fact, died as a consequence of them, for example? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, one of the things, uh, okay, <laughs> you're asking actually quite many questions now in a very short time. Uh, so, uh, if we're looking at the just radiological effects of these accidents, for Chernobyl, there has been like a few tens of uh, deaths due to the uh, radiation. And uh, for Fukushima, uh, there has been zero deaths due to the radiation. And this uh, accounts also for the things like uh, uh, long-term cancer and so on, or as uh, calculations for long-term cancer. Uh, so, and uh, but the real impact of these uh, accidents have, of course, been like uh, because these uh, families or villages and so uh, communities have been had to relocate, and especially it has been said that for Chernobyl the uh, kind of like message for all the people who have been relocated that they are the victims of nuclear power, it has had very uh, much of this kind of uh, psychological consequences which is of course like a consequence of this uh, accident but it's not uh, in effect like this kind of uh, uh, radiological but uh, we must, of course, uh, take this into account. As to the reasons, well, uh, Chernobyl, it was a bit stra uh, strange reactor design that was actually such reactors uh, would uh, have been illegal in West because of some of the features they were having, which in part caused the accident. But of course, there is like a, whole issue that uh, this accident was uh, a consequence also of a test that was quite irresponsible in the sense that they had put uh, taking offline most of the uh, safety uh, uh, safety systems in order to actually uh, do this test so um, it was uh, you, you can never of course take away the human from these things. So if you don't have an uh, organization that's responsible, uh, that's uh, just telling like, no, we are not going to do that kind of thing, uh, then uh, you're uh, uh, going to be in a trouble in like any industry. Same, same thing applies that if you have uh, like uh, total negligence in like chemical industry. Actually, uh, and uh, uh, I think that we had uh, also this kind of like uh, 
reports that uh, in um, uh, Sosnoibori, which is a sister uh, facility to Chernobyl, a uh, couple, one or two years before, there was a, a, like initiative that okay, let's make this kind of experiment, and uh, people at the facility said that they refused to do this because of this uh, kind of dangers included, which is something that people, uh, the organization at Chernobyl should have done. But uh, yeah, uh, as to Fukushima, uh, well. Basically, the basic reason was the tsunami that was uh, like one in a thousand year event, in a sense. Uh, of course, for nuclear, uh, we should have facilities that can withstand once in a thousand year events. But this was not happening as, as to, uh, it's once again, you get into this kind of like, organizational things. Uh, there is a, a nuclear facility closer to the epicenter of the earthquake, uh, which withstood uh, the accident, but this was because the management had actually like taken into account that, okay, indeed, we can have this kind of huge tsunamis. And in Japan, uh, when you're looking at the most of these uh, tsunami walls, it's the six meters, because uh, it was traditionally taught that, okay, this is as much as we can uh, prepare for, and if something happens after that, it's uh, the fate. But, of course, here, I don't think that we can have such a fatalism in nuclear. Yeah. Uh, I hope that this answers your question. Yeah, 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 of course. And yeah. uh, did, did these accidents reveal some sort of prediction errors coming from the science behind nuclear power, particularly in terms of the security measures? Uh, well, I think that basically what these uh, accidents revealed was uh, more of uh, uh, the need, and uh, they also emphasize the importance of uh, like this kind of holistic approach to safety, which includes like safety culture. Safety culture is something that uh, was uh, brought in as a science, as a concept by nuclear in nuclear field, and it has spread now to other fields also. The idea that you, the safety is paramount, and you must. The, the, uh, train the whole organization into the safety culture. So, because uh, these uh, accidents, uh, there was, uh, I mean, the facilities uh, uh, or nuclear power plants, they acted uh, as predicted in these kind of scenarios. But, but it was basically uh, taking uh, the, the, all these kind of like uh, scenarios had not been necessarily taken into account because uh, of uh, well people overlooking them. Uh, basically, after Chernobyl, there has been uh, or there was a huge emphasis on uh, severe accident management. So as to so okay these accidents happen, so we need to mitigate their effects so that uh, there is uh, not going to be any release. For instance, like if you're looking at Finnish power plants, there's all the power plants have uh, extensive severe accident management plants. If the reactor melts down, all the 
radioactive substances must still be contaminated, uh, contained within the structures. And uh, after Fukushima, uh, I believe that uh, basically what uh, it showed that we need to take into account like uh, many separate uh, things that can happen at the same time, such as uh, like in Fukushima, first there was an earthquake and then there was the tsunami, which uh, basically the basic pro problem was that uh, in, at Fukushima, the uh, diesel generators that were supposed to operating the pumps, uh, they were put in the basement because of the earthquake. Most of, in most of the other places, they are put quite high, but uh, because of earthquake protection, all these equipment were in the basements, which were flooded by the tsunami. Mm -hmm. So you are not, you cannot only uh, like take into account like earthquake. You also need to find out that if there's like several different things happening at the same time. And these uh, Fukushima lessons have been uh, taken uh, and uh, have been like. Uh, there has been stress tests and then uh, repair, well, not repairs, but uh, some new solutions put in uh, nuclear power plants globally because of the lessons learned. Mm -hmm. But just to make it clear for people who might be, who might watch this later, uh, th these types of accidents shouldn't make us rethink about uh, using nuclear power as a source yeah. of electrical energy, right? Yeah, well, I think that after Fukushima, uh, it was quite surprising that uh, there were actually many people who were looking at this thing, that, okay, we have uh, three nuclear power plants that have been, like, uh, uh, destroyed, and the world did not end. I mean, the contamination, it's in the relatively small region, there are no radiological, uh, there are no deaths due to the uh, radioactivity. I mean, when you are looking at this uh, kind of like uh, debate, this like destruction of three nuclear power plants should have been like end of the world. But suddenly it's not. So in that sense, uh, I think that even that showed to many people that actually maybe some of these fears uh, have been overblown. So, uh, but of course, for the local people, it is a serious uh, uh, like issue that they cannot return to their homes yet. Of course, more and more people can return nowadays to their homes, but of course, it's uh, locally, it's a very serious issue and I don't want to in any way like... Uh, uh, de-emphasize that, but uh, globally it's uh, still relatively uh, small impact. So, and uh, this is basically when you're looking at uh, the challenges that we are facing at this moment, like climate change and biodiversity degradation and so on, uh, at least I'm in the, uh, I'm uh, saying that basically we need all our sources of uh, clean energy and this uh, does include nuclear. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and what are the main advantages of nuclear energy and its disadvantages or perhaps even shortcomings? And I don't know uh, if you already want to compare it with other sources of energy like renewables or perhaps we could leave that to another uh, question. Uh, well, I'll try to answer you. Uh, basically, uh, the main advantage and also disadvantage of nuclear energy is that it has very high power density so you can actually produce a very lots of very lot of energy in a very small space of course when uh, things uh, go ba bad it also makes means that this is a bit hard to uh, uh, our ba basically this uh, is also leads to the uh, potential like uh, uh, nuclear accidents but uh, the idea is that uh, nuclear you are you have very dense uh, or you can produce a lot of energy in with very small material inputs you can uh, produce this electricity or power uh, when you need it so it's dis dispatchable and it's basically like running all over the year so it's predictable so uh, and also uh, uh, one of the things I've been uh, doing uh, last couple of years is looking into the future role of nuclear. And in o addition to producing uh, electricity, basically, okay, nuclear, with nuclear power, you first produce heat and you convert it to electricity. So you can actually use the heat. And uh, at least in Europe, I mean, uh, in many countries like Finland, uh, I think in Portugal was just like 100% renewable much or something like that. So basically, we are like doing very well with electricity. But with the heat, uh, industrial heat, residential heat, most of that is uh, just uh, by foss burning fossil, fossil fuels. So uh, basically nuclear uh, could also be used as a source of industrial heat. So that's a, its versat uh, versatility is a very good thing. Uh, on disadvantage, of course, um, basically at this point, uh, it's it seems to be very difficult to start nuclear new build. I mean, the legal issues and also these current uh, builds, uh, new builds in Europe and in uh, US have been like, well, pro project management failures. So th these are big projects and since we, uh, our generation does not have experience in building them because most of uh, the nuclear new build in Europe, in US was built by our father's generation. So there is no like a practical experience in the new builds. So uh, this uh, basically this kind of like practical experience can only be gained by building them. So, uh, but this is of course like uh, now the question is uh, whether this is a failure to start and uh, how to actually accomplish this kind of like uh, uh, nuclear new build in this current. Uh, political climate where nuclear is uh, quite uh, uh, not in favor, especially in Europe. Um, and because of this kind of like uh, uh, very uh, strong, uh, like, well, very, very uh, hard to actually get this 
projects started because of the licensing and uh, so on and because these first projects uh, in decades have been uh, quite costly so now the question is of course uh, what's the like the cost of nuclear so uh, and here we are especially having these uh, renewables that have been uh, they have they used to be very expensive but thanks to a very extensive build out uh, by learning by doing the cost has come down very much so uh, basically if you're looking just like uh, incremental incremental addition of clean energy renewables are cheaper than nuclear but uh, then when you're looking at our end goal which is a totally clean or totally low uh, emission uh, powered system uh, you can see that basically all of these uh, different sources have their have their own limitations and uh, we are not uh, we cannot at this point say for sure whether or not we can actually do this kind of like 100 percent uh, renewable power system because of the well okay we can we can do it but we don't know how much it would cost and it would appear that this kind of like a reasonable uh, power system that's uh, totally low emission would include both uh, renewables and nuclear depending on the local conditions so uh, in that sense uh, uh, when you ask me to compare to other power sources I think that uh, in future we will need to find a way to basically accommodate a lot of variable renewable generation but also nuclear can help and uh, having some sort of like uh, well nowadays people call it like flexible uh, base uh, in the power generation uh, it would be very beneficial Mm -hmm. yeah, so yeah. Yeah. yeah so, sorry sorry you, you wanted to say something else no well that that was about it <laughs> okay 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 so in term uh, you touched a little bit on carbon emissions so uh, how do how does nuclear energy perform in terms of carbon emissions in comparison with for example oil gas and coal yeah. well I mean for life cycle analysis, uh, the uh, carbon uh, uh, intensity of uh, producing uh, nuclear energy is, uh, well, it's a low carbon source. So it's uh, like uh, about, I think I've seen between 10 and uh, 17 grams per kilowatt hour produced, whereas in for coal it's 800 for oil it's uh, I guess it's about the same for gas it's like 450 grams and uh, solar depending on where you produce the panels and where you use them it's uh, from uh, I think from like 10 to 50 grams and for wind it's uh, about the same as nuclear so basically when we are looking at this kind of low carbon sources we are having like uh, nuclear wind solar uh, and then uh, of course uh, then we can well ex existing hydro 
and then there's uh, like difficulties whether you're actually doing huge uh, well it's a uh, location dependent whether what kind of like emissions you're getting from hydro depending on how big a reservoir you're building and what's in the reservoir and then uh, well there is uh, in Finland now a big debate on how to actually calculate uh, carbon emissions from using biofuels uh, biomass Mm-hmm. So, uh, j- just to be sure, as you're saying earlier, if I understood it correctly, uh, it's not possible for us to talk about nuclear power as being the most environment-friendly source of energy, right? At least in comparison to renewables, it depends on the local conditions, right? Uh, it. Uh, what's, uh, I mean... Uh, it depends on uh, your uh, point of view. What kind of things you are like uh, uh, valuing? Like with nuclear, there is uh, basically, of, co- of course, we are producing radioactive waste. So, but this is something that uh, is actually quite well contained and can we deal with. Uh, for, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. just uh, to interrupt you there because yeah. that was another question I wanted to yeah. pose to you. Yeah. Uh, uh, how uh, are the waste products treated in the nuclear power plant. Hey, uh, uh, can I come back to this question yeah, yeah. later yeah. on? Because I was just w- wanting to say that basically with the so- solar and wind, when you compare them, uh, it's uh, basically uh, you, you, you need a lot more uh, land area to harvest the energy. And you are also needing uh, quite a lot of like material to building like windmills and so on. So uh, it actually like what's the best depends on which things you value most. And this is basically something that uh, I would uh, say that if we are going like full full on with the wind, then we are like putting windmills everywhere. So we don't necessarily want to go like 100% wind. If we are going 100% of solar, the same thing. We actually need to have huge amount of solar power and figure out uh, uh, like uh, storage. And if we are going full on uh, with the nuclear, it's uh, this waste is issue. And there's also like this kind of thing that we are then reliant on one power source. So uh, basically, in that sense. I don't think that it's a very relevant question that which is the environmentally best because uh, we will need to figure out for the future this kind of like uh, energy system that's as low impact as possible and all of these sources have some impacts of their own. So uh, we need to have a balancing act and uh, like saying that we are just supposed to go for one energy source it's not sustainable in that long run. So uh, in that sense, I would like contest that uh, if you want to have like, what's the best? I don't think that there is a best. Yeah, okay. But uh, unless you have something on that, I'll go to waste or? Uh, yeah, 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 you, okay. can, you can follow up. Yeah, yeah. okay, uh, nuclear waste. So basically, uh, the waste issue is something that, okay, when you're producing uh, electricity with nuclear power, you are getting uh, spent nuclear fuel, 
which basically uh, has uh, most of the uranium in it still, uh, but then it also has um, uh, radioactive uh, like uh, byproducts of fission, like uh, that. Uh, and then you have also uh, transuranics, which come from the uh, cap neutron capture of uh, uranium. So basically, there is uh, this kind of like uh, radioactive uh, light isotopes that come from fission and the heavy isotope that comes from the captured neutrons because all the neutrons do not uh, necessarily uh, cause fission. Take the uh, big nuclei can also just like capture them. So uh, basically, uh, this kind of like radiation that's emitted by this uh, spent nuclear fuel, it can be stopped like by, uh, let's say, one meter of concrete or one meter of water or a few meters of water. So basically, these are, uh, uh, and it basically uh, decays exponentially so that it's very radioactive immediately after taking it away from a reactor and then it goes like down quite quickly. So it starts to emit some radioactivity some heat uh, but uh, then uh, for uh, several years you need to cool these uh, fuel bundles in water and this water also acts as a uh, barrier to radioactivity uh, and then after that you can either keep cooling them in water or put them into air cooled uh, like concrete containers and basically, uh, for instance, in Finland, we are using the water uh, cooling until we put them into final disposal facility, which is currently under construction. And in some countries, uh, they have decided that, okay, they put them into this kind of air-cooled uh, dry storage and uh, until they figure out what to do with them. Mm -hmm. So basically, and uh, with this uh, kind of, especially with dry storage, you don't actually need to do anything to them. You can just, uh, well, for a while, you can just like leave them uh, for decades to wait until your final disposal solution. And at the same time, the radioactivity goes down all the time. So basically, uh, where we are at this point is that some uh, countries have uh, this kind of... Uh, reprocessing where you are taking away the usable material and uh, using this uh, putting these uh, fission products into a glass uh, sort of substance which they intend to bury and then we have uh, countries like Finland and Sweden who have quite advanced final disposal projects so uh, in uh, Finnish concepts we are putting the fuel bundles into a metal cask which is put into a copper canister which is put underground uh, like uh, 450 meters underground into a disposal facility and this is closed down and the idea is that these uh, both man-made and natural barriers uh, separate these radioactive isotopes from the biosphere so that eventually if there's even if there's a breach uh, the amount of radioactivity that reaches uh, biosphere will be so small that it will not have any effects on life so uh, and of course uh, but uh, this is basically like the 
direct disposal and then there's the uh, like recycling mm-hmm. and uh, I think that uh, basically these are like technologically doable both and it's like pros and cons with direct disposal a small country like Finland can actually like uh, responsibly dispose all of their waste and it's like dealt with and also we are having like minimal interaction with uh, uh, spent fuel so there is no like danger to humans at any point with uh, reprocessing you can get lots and lots of more of uh, uh, energy out of the same fuel uh, and uh, the time needed for uh, the rest of the nuclear waste uh, to decay uh, to harmless level is lot smaller but you need to handle the fuel and you need to like uh, ten, you need to like dis- uh, dissolve the fuel and collect all these things and so basically this industrial process and so on uh, which is only feasible for the larger countries so uh, this is like uh, basically uh, decision on which one you want to, which route you want to go. Both have good and both have bad uh, ideas. And what uh, at this point uh, has been uh, chosen by many of the countries is to wait out or wait for some other countries to demonstrate that, okay, we have done this. So like many countries are waiting for Finland and Sweden to demonstrate the final disposal concept and then they can go like, okay, yes, we are doing that thing. So, uh, and so, but this is made possible because actually, like uh, from the spent nuclear fuel, it's not like uh, you don't need, it's not actively dangerous, it's not actively harming the environment, it's contained very well and quite uh, easily. So, you can actually like uh, have 10 years waiting for some other people to come up with a solution and for some strange reason we in Finland and uh, also in Sweden have been like at the forefront here just because uh, probably something to do with the like basic nature of okay let's get this thing sorted out but it's uh, seen as uh, this kind of uh, responsible responsibility of uh, our generation who are benefiting from nuclear power to actually like uh, also take care uh, care that uh, uh, this kind of like uh, issue of uh, disposal will not be burden to the next generation. So this is basically one form of this kind of intergenerational justice. Mm-hmm. Take take care of our own waste. Yeah. Uh, and now to talk a little bit about the future of nuclear energy. So uh, we already had uh, three or four generations in terms of nuclear reactors. The first, the second, the third and the third plus, if I'm not mistaken. And and more recently, people have been talking more about the fourth generation of nuclear reactors. So from from one generation to the next, in what ways have the nuclear reactors improved? Was it in terms of security measures, in terms of efficiency? And what is the fourth generation about? Yeah, so basically the first generation were the like uh, first 
test demo demonstration uh, power plants. Second generation is the thing that we nowadays associate with nuclear power, the currently running nuclear power plants. Third generation and well, three plus, uh, it's uh, basically the family of uh, designs that were designed in the 90s, in the uh, 20s, uh, with uh, more and more, this kind of like uh, passively working safety systems, uh, more and more like a uh, uh, inbuilt uh, severe accident management uh, system, like uh, EPR that's been built in uh, Olkiluoto in Finland, it has this uh, core catcher. So basically if core melts and it uh, like uh, goes through the pressure vessel, there is a core catcher below it that basically takes the melt uh, down and uh, spreads it and cools it down. So basically, this kind of like uh, the generation two was uh, the f current uh, operating reactors, generation three safety improvements, and especially this kind of like uh, severe accident management. Uh, and generation four, uh, well, generation four was a term that was coined in uh, two uh, 2000, 2001. And after it was coined, it of course locked in the previous designs and then the vendors said that, okay, but generation three is only this, we have improved designs. So they were saying that, okay, we are using generation three plus because they couldn't use four anymore because it was already taken. Okay, but generation four was uh, about uh, this kind of... Uh, uh, the uh, different approach to uh, nuclear reactors because mo generation two and three are light water reactors so where the fuel is both cooled and the neutrons are moderated by uh, light water or the common water as it say uh, then uh, generation four includes things like uh, graphite moderated uh, gas cooled reactors which can read reach very high temperatures uh, sodium cooled reactors lead cooled reactors so metal cooled reactors that uh, have this kind of like a, a very uh, fast neutron spectrum which enables uh, breeding of more fuel from the old uh, from the spent fuel for instance and then there's uh, things like molten salt reactors where the uh, fuel is uh, carried away uh, carried around by them in the molten salt so these are very different type of reactor than the light water reactors. All of these reactor designs were uh, tested or prototyped in the like 60s and some development has been going on with various uh, different uh, concepts. So uh, this kind of, uh, but this generation 4 is kind of like umbrella term for something completely new. Uh, then there's uh, basically generation 4 uh, uh, the big push for it has been the fast reactors that uh, are essential for closing the fuel cycle. So uh, instead of uh, having these uh, transuranics uh, that are uh, take very long time to decay, you are putting them into this fast reactor that you breed more fuel out of them. So this comes also back to the question of what to do with waste. 
whether to have the final disposal or direct disposal or to uh, develop these fast reactors that you can close the fuel cycle with. So, uh, and uh, in addition to fast reactors, there's the high temperature reactors, these gas cooled reactors that can go like uh, six, seven hundred degrees C, eight hundred degrees C, which you can use then for industrial heat and power, uh, heat also, in addition to producing electricity. Uh, so, I think uh, that for the future of the nuclear, uh, Basically, for the large countries like uh, USA, France, uh, uh, Russia, China, if they want to like uh, have this kind of closed fuel cycle, if they want to have like a uh, nuclear uh, industry that's going on and that can produce uh, uh, energy uh, with nuclear power for decades or centuries or millennia, they will want to go you uh, develop these kind of fast reactors and closed fuel cycle uh, but uh, it's uh, remains to be seen like in US we are seeing that they are actually closing their uh, nuclear power plants uh, and we don't know yet but uh, then there's also the possibility for these high temperature reactors to actually like assist in the industrial uh, industrial processes because most of these process uh, many industrial processes take uh, uh, a lot of heat uh, and now it's being produced by fossil fuels so how to do this because uh, you cannot just like uh, uh, stop and start many of these industrial processes you need something that's uh, uh, dispatchable energy to them so this is I think uh, one of the big opening uh, possibilities for the future nuclear and in uh, China is very uh, China is very interesting in this regard because there there is this uh, pebble bed reactor which is basically uh, this kind of like fist uh, fist uh, size uh, uh, pebbles which con which are like uh, contain small pebbles of uranium into a graphite uh, uh, ball that basically you have this kind of like huge reactor with uh, hundreds of thousands of these uh, pebbles and they're cooled by helium uh, and basically produce high temperature helium there which can be used for heating water uh, it's uh, they have now uh, they should be start they have now built this reactor and they should come uh, be starting it up this year so they intend to like demonstrate this kind of like a very passively safe uh, uh, high temperature reactor that can be used not only for uh, power production but also for industrial heat and for China it's uh, very important because uh, uh, factories also this uh, the combined heat and power because now in northern China they are having huge number of uh, uh, coal power plants that are like must run during the winter because they are not only producing electricity they are also producing uh, heat for the heating networks and this is like uh, absolutely destroying their local uh, uh, local air quality because of all these kind of emissions. So they would uh, use these kind of like uh, bevel bed reactors to just uh, 
supply the heat to the existing turbines. So they are just replacing the uh, coal burner with this kind of like uh, pebble bed reactors to actually producing uh, and then using the existing infrastructure. So uh, uh, to produce this kind of uh, clean uh, combined heat and power. So this is uh, something that's uh, going on quite a lot, especially like in countries like China at this moment. So uh, and uh, considering that we have had like this kind of like a bit uh, of a, uh, stagnation into nuclear for the past few decades. I think that at this point there is uh, quite a lot of like uh, new things uh, happening with this, uh, this new innovative reactors, so to say. But uh, it's still like uh, quite early to say how big the change will be. Mm -hmm. And with all these generations of nuclear reactors, we're talking here about reactors that work with uh, nuclear fission right so yes a nuclear yeah. fission reaction so and yeah. about nuclear fusion is it still too conceptual or could it turn out to be in the future a better alternative than fission uh well <laughs> i used to uh during my undergraduate years i used to work also with the fusion so uh, uh it's a uh, uh, this is my opinion, but it's uh, basically the promise of uh, fusion is that basically you are getting uh, power out of what's basically from water and rock. So you use lithium and uh, deuterium from uh, water, or lithium from rocks and deuterium from water. So it's uh, uh, what uh, it at this moment is uh, it's a uh, very challenging because uh, it's very challenging uh, progress because you have this kind of like a plasma that you must keep uh, contained and so on in order to pro for a long time in order to produce energy and you have this kind of like a very high demands for the materials and so on so how i view it is that it at this moment uh, fusion is uh, very challenging uh, science uh, science and it's very high high level of science that they are the fusion community is doing they are basically uh, aiming for this kind of like demonstration of uh, ongoing uh, or demonstration of possibility of uh, using fusion for energy production which is uh, in the ITER and the future demo projects and uh, basically the commercial fusion would be like 2050s 2060s something like that so at this point it's uh, basically uh, very challenging science which is always uh, something that's uh, good uh, to support and it's also represents something new that's coming up in the pipeline so of course by 2050 2060s we should have already very extremely clean power uh, and energy system but still the world does not end there 
we will still need some new solutions and some new uh, alternatives. So in that sense, uh, I don't want to like say that new, uh, fusion comes too late because uh, we are not. I will be retired by 50, uh, in the, I will retire in the 2050s, and uh, but I don't think that the world will be ready by the time I retire. So there will be new challenges, and hopefully fusion will be also one of these things that can assist there. But at this moment, uh, with his current funding levels, uh, it's still science and. Uh, so also challenging technological challenges that need to be solved. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So, Mr. Tulki, I think it was a very interesting and informative conversation we had here. Uh, uh, just before we finish, uh, oh, and by, and by the way, don't end the call uh, after I finish yeah. the recording because I just want to give you a yeah. quick word. Uh, just, but just before we finish, would you like just to tell people where they perhaps can follow you or on social media or something like that? Uh, well, I have my uh, Twitter feed where I uh, do half of these uh, uh, uploads on nuclear and half uh, half time like uh, life of uh, well <coughs> very unprofessional comments, but it's a uh, V Tulki handle, and uh, also uh, well we have been uh, doing this uh, or we have uh, established this uh, uh, environmental uh, organization in Finland, Ecomodernist Society of Finland. So there is also uh, uh, some uh, uh, po possibilities if you're fo uh, following those people. Uh, I think that's uh, it for the English media or English-speaking people. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So, uh, do you want to add something else? Well, it was very nice to talking to you. So, thank you for having me. Okay, th thank I thank you. It was a great pleasure to have you on. Okay. If you appreciate my work, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash the dissenter. Thank you.